So often when um, I get the chance to share, I'll share topically. Uh, so in other words, I'll have a, an, an idea or a message or a thought that I feel like God wants me to share. Um, and so I'll grab scriptures, you know, from around the Bible that support that topic. Um, so I've known that I was going to preach for about a month, and um, I, I didn't have anything, nothing, nothing, nothing. And last week, I, was, I had a couple days off, and I was um, sitting in the woods enjoying nature, because um, that was the only excitement I had during deer season. And I was captivated by this idea that um, Jesus is praying for me. Um, so lately, I've been in a season where God's been kind of showing me this, um, this idea that he calls me friend. Um, so it's just been kind of neat. Uh, but last week, I was just struck by this idea that Jesus is praying for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always known that he's making intercession for me, and he prays for me, and I was kind of like, whatever. Um, you know, what's he saying? Um, he, he already knows, every, you know what I mean? Like, you ever think about that? No? Okay. So, but anyway, I end up landing in John 17. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for us, right? So, <clears throat> I want to share on John 17, but before I do, an interesting thing. Um, so, last night, I was up at 1230, finishing my notes, and went to bed, and at 430, my phone is... <laughs> And I look at it, and it's Stansky at 4.30 in the morning texting me what he just shared with you guys. And I'm like, Lord, I'm so ashamed. He's so much holier than I am. He's up at 4.30 on a Sunday just studying. Yeah, he told me later the truth. Anyway, we'll just, we'll just, that's how holy Ryan is, yes. But what he shared was so similar to one of the points that... Um, I already had in my notes as of 12.30 last night that I was like, man, you have to share that this mo- or tomorrow morning, or this morning, I guess it was. And he said, okay, fine. You know, I really had to talk him into it. And uh, so anyway, we'll get there in a little bit, but we're going to look at John 17, the high priestly prayer, starting in verse 6. So if you have a Bible, open it up, please, and we'll get to it. So a few things about this prayer that you should know getting into it. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in Scripture. Okay, so to me that means something, that, that says something. If, if, if they thought it was important enough, you know, to record this entire prayer, it had something to it. Secondly, it's the last thing that he prays with the disciples before he dies. So it's essentially his last sermon in some ways. Like Ryan was talking about what was the first message after the resurrection. This is the last message prior to the crucifixion. And they really parallel one another. It's pretty remarkable what he shared and what's in John 17. The other thing is, consider that Jesus is praying this audibly for the disciples to hear it. And he actually says that at one point in the prayer, that he's praying it while he's still in the world so that their joy may be complete. So he's praying this because he wants the disciples to hear it. That's important because he wanted them to go back to this later. He wanted them to hang on to this and remember this so that after he goes to be with the Father, 
they think back on the things that he prayed and they go, whoa. Because some of this faith walk has to be uh, looked at, examined, looking backward, right? We don't, we don't get it all going forward. Often when we're following Jesus, it's largely blind and we don't get understanding until we stop and we look back, right? Okay, so that's some context, but I want to mention a few other things about when Jesus prays. Number one, he gets what he's asking for. This is God incarnate. Okay, so he's fully man, but he's also fully God, right? He put his deity on hold to become fully man on the earth, but he is the son of the triune God. He gets what he wants when he prays. Okay, that's kind of remarkable. He prays with understanding, so he knows what he's praying, and it makes sense. And it makes sense not only from a human perspective, if we align ourselves with God, but it makes sense from God's perspective. And he also prays with an eternal perspective, with God's perspective, and we'll see that in a little bit. All right, so let's start in verse 6. Are you ready? We're going to read a section, and then I'm just going to give you some comments on it. I have revealed to you, or I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All that I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. All right, so I'm going to give you guys a few comments on this passage, okay? The first thing I want to say is, if you look at verse 11, this is something that for me, learning that Jesus is, is, sees me as a friend is kind of important. But verse 11 stands out. Something just is really glaring for me. He prays for me, for you, but I'm going to talk to you about this in the first person. He prays for me with emotion. Look at verse 11. I'm not going to be in the world any longer, but they're still here. I'm not going to be with them, but they've got to stick this out. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. You can hear his heart for the 11 remaining disciples. In some ways, Jesus is like, I'm getting delivered out of this. I'm returning to my glory. That's how he starts out John 17. He's talking about restore to me my glory. And Jesus is praying for them and he's like, I got to leave them behind. I get to come back. I get to be restored to the way things were meant to be. But they've got to stay. Protect them by the power of your name. 
Do you ever stop and think that when Jesus is praying for you, he's praying with empathy, with emotion, with compassion? He's looking at us in our struggle, and he doesn't just say, Father, they know what to do. Just help them do it for God's sakes. He goes, I've been there. I've been tempted the way he's been tempted. It says, Scripture says he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. I don't get the feeling that Jesus looks at us when we're tempted and struggle and says, come on, you bozo, I did it. John 17, 11 makes it look like he looks at the Father and he goes, I know the difficulty of being tempted in the way they're being tempted. Protect them with the power of your name. Now, his idea of protection is different than ours, for the most part. Maybe you're one of a few. But he says, keep them in your name, protect them in your name, the name you gave me. Bear in mind that shortly thereafter, this prayer, Jesus was crucified while protected in the Father's name. Every disciple, save one, was murdered for following Jesus. And Jesus' prayer got answered. His idea of protection here and in general is different than ours. This is important. The gospel message is an eternal message. It's about salvation for all eternity. It's about redemption for all eternity. It's not only or primarily about what we get in this age. When, when Jesus is hanging on a cross and he's telling the thief, you'll be with me this day in paradise, he didn't tell him, and you're going to leap down and all will be well for the remainder of your days. Additionally, you know, I, there's this a couple of guys that are um, in Iraq right now, they're, they're filmmakers, but they're over there, uh, medical missions during what's going on in Mosul. And they're dealing with millions of refugees. And, and, and right now it's not millions because they're just really slowly trickling out. But one thing that they heavily emphasize is the, the gospel is not a message that you preach telling people that all's going to be well with you from this point on. The gospel is a message that's preached saying, despite may what, may, what may come to you in this life, you have eternity to be redeemed to spend in the presence of God. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here when he's saying, protect them in your name. He's saying, keep them from falling away from you, no matter what may come to them in this life. Jesus' idea of protection wasn't avoidance of earthly harm, but it's protection of an eternal sort. See, he says, I protected them all except the one that was set for betrayal, Judas, so that scriptures might be fulfilled. So he's looking at protection as keeping us with God that we would not turn away. Jesus didn't turn away in his crucifixion. And the disciples didn't turn away in their martyrdom. Jesus 
and the Father protected them in the name so that they might ascend to glory. So that's important. Just bear that in mind when we're looking at protection that he's talking about an eternal sort. Verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. He's praying within the disciples hearing here so that they will know what he prayed and remember it later. I said that earlier, but that's important. Look at the context. Why is Jesus saying this stuff out loud? Because he wants them to hear it. He wants them to think about it, and he wants them to reflect on it, remember it, go back to it. Because as, as Ryan mentioned, often there's a lack of understanding when things are happening, even for the great apostles. They're still learning as they go. Paul, late in his life, says, I have still not arrived, but yet I reach eagerly onward that I may lay hold of that which Christ, for, for which he has laid hold of me. Jesus is praying this out loud, and he's telling them that he, he, I'm praying for your protection, not of an earthly kind, but of an eternal kind. Why? Because I want their joy to be complete. He's praying this out loud, telling them that I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect your salvation so that when persecution comes, you're not afraid that you're going to betray me. For someone like Peter who denied Jesus three times, being able to look back on this and say that Jesus prayed that I'd be kept, my salvation would be protected, no matter what would come against me, had to be tremendously encouraging. I'm not going to turn from you, Lord, ever. You remember when Peter said that as a young disciple? And Jesus is like, wrong, brother. Later in life, Peter never had to carry that fear because he remembered that Jesus had prayed that he'd be protected in the name. Peter ended up getting crucified upside down. And I imagine through that process, he was able to carry joy knowing that he wasn't going to turn from his Lord. I'm going to tell you this. So whatever you want to call it, tradition has it that Peter was coming under great persecution uh, at the end of his life and that he actually escaped out of town and he was afraid that it would look like he had turned and run away from persecution and that it would look like he had abandoned Jesus again. So tradition has it that he turned around and he went back and turned himself in where he was then Crucified upside down, maintaining his salvation throughout. It's a powerful story. So he wants us to have joy despite persecution. 
He's saying that the world is going to hate them. It's okay. You can have joy throughout because these things are normal. This is the way it's going to be till I come back and restore all things. He says the world will hate them. You know, you know what this is, guys? This is Jesus giving them just a real clear dose of reality. Guys, sinners are going to sin. Don't be surprised at that. For, for us as Christians, I feel like that's just a really good, like, splash of cold water to the face. Sinners are going to sin, guys. Like, when we look at what's happening in the world or culturally and, you know, oh, my goodness, oh, it's, everything's falling apart. Well, what do we expect? Sinners are going to sin. Apart from a work of Christ in their lives, in a new birth, they're going to continue sinning. Let's not get surprised over it. A sinner's most righteous act is as filthy rags. So that's to be expected, and that's what Jesus is laying out here, guys. Sinners are going to sin. Those that are not with us are going to hate you. It's just the way it's going to be till I come back. But rejoice in it, because I'm going to protect you in my name. Matthew 10, he sends them out as sheep amidst the wolves. So he tells them, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, know what you're going into. When you go out there, don't expect to be popular, loved deeply, and have everyone care for you and be totally respecting. Sinners are going to sin. Know the reality, but be innocent in that reality. You don't have to become like the wolves. You can remain innocent, despite knowing the way wolves are going to act around sheep. So have the right expectations. That's what he's trying to set for them. Have the right expectations. This is the way it's going to be, guys. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you in my name, but know what you're getting into. He also prays that they won't be removed from the world that hates them. How many of us go out there and you share Jesus with someone and they, they roll their eyes, they talk about you like you're crazy, maybe, right? It doesn't always go well, right? I mean, we share the testimonies, right? We have Ryan come up or Dan come up or somebody share a testimony of something really great that happened, right? And we're all like, woohoo, you know? Okay, but there were probably 99 other stories that happened where people were like, you idiot, you're so archaic, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? Right? And sometimes I find myself wanting to be delivered from a world that hates me. Like, Lord, fix it or take me out of it. Or like, you know, I'd really like that calling where I'm called to a cave, where it's just me and, you know... My family will just hide out and just wait for you to come back. It's quiet, semi-quiet with my kids. He's praying that we won't be delivered or removed from the world that hates us. He wants us in that world that hates us. And you're going to see why in a couple minutes. In other words, he's telling them, guys, just get used to it. It's okay. It's okay. Your value does not come from the approval of men, but from the approval of my father and your father. He says they're not of this world as he is not of this world. 
This is where it starts to get interesting. He's putting them on equal footing. So Jesus comes in and they know he's sent from the Father, that he's the Messiah. And like Ryan was saying, all along they're kind of like, well, he's Jesus and we're the disciples. And all of a sudden in this prayer, Jesus starts to transition them into something that they didn't know they could be. They're not of this world just like I'm not of this world. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about, Willis? If you're here in the 80s, you know what that's about. Um, if you don't, just never mind. Different Strokes, okay? as a TV show in the 80s. Great, great show. Anyway, these guys are not of this world just the same way I'm not of this world. Can you just imagine these guys praying like, yes, Lord, yes, oh, yes, protect us in the name. Yes. Wait, what? I, you know, I know where you came from, but, you know, I was born here. I'm, I'm one of these guys. No? Right? And all of a sudden they're asking, I don't get it. No, 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 they're, they're not of the world just like I'm not of the world. These are heavenly men. He's putting them on equal footing and he's giving them an equal mission. He's saying to his father, these guys are just like me. Have you guys ever been in a situation maybe where you're with your boss, right? An executive, someone who's really important, and you're with this person and you're kind of feeling like, you know, what am I doing here? I'm kind of carrying the purse, right? And they're around some other really important people like them, and they turn and introduce you and they say, well, this is my colleague. And you're like, colleagues carry purses? I didn't, I don't, that's, okay. Right, this is my colleague. This person is on equal footing with me, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, hello. <laughs> right? They don't say, this, this is the person who I rule over. This is, I'm his boss, and he's okay, but I'm, I'm his boss. They say, this is my colleague, and he goes, equal footing. That's what Jesus is doing with the guys here. Father, these are my colleagues. These are my brothers. They're just like I am. They're not of this world. And then he prays for their sanctification. In his final recorded prayer, in the longest that we know of, he makes it a priority to pray for their sanctification. Holiness matters to Jesus. Becoming pure matters to Jesus. Make it a priority. Of all the things that he could have prayed here, in his final prayer with the disciples, his final message, with those that would lead the new church, he prays that they would be sanctified, made holy, live pure. If we don't think us being set free from sin in our life is important, all we need to do is go back to Jesus' final prayer and we'll realize where he prioritizes it in the list of things. Make sanctification a priority. He did. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's, he's bringing us into this prayer now. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Okay. So, first thing, he's bringing us into this prayer. So he's praying for the disciples at first, right? Then he's brought, he's, he's this is awesome, he's drawing all the believers in the future into this prayer. It worked well, that adjustment. Uh-huh. We are in him, He's pulling us and he's saying, we are in him so that they may be in me just as you are in me and I am in you. This is what Ryan was starting to get into a little bit earlier. This is really important though. Verse 22. Okay. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Stop. I have given them the glory that you gave me. This is the eternal son speaking to his eternal father. And he's telling his father, I gave them the glory that you gave me, that we have shared since before the foundations of the earth. I gave it to them. But wait, you say. Isaiah 48, 11 says something. It says, for my sake, I do this so that my name's not profaned. I will not give my glory to another. Doesn't it? Well, how can Jesus contradict what he says in Isaiah 48? Isaiah 48 says he can't give his glory to another. He will not give his glory to another. In John 17, though, he says in verse 22, I have given them my glory. That they may be one as we are one. Because in verse 23, he says this, I in them and you in me. You know how he gives us his glory? He comes in. He possesses us completely. With the Father completely possessing him. We're not independent beings from the Son and the Father anymore. We have been drawn into the Godhead and will remain that way throughout eternity. Peter later figures it out. Ryan might be right about Acts. We've we've had this argument whether or not he was right. He's probably right about Acts. But Peter figured it out. Because Peter later in his epistles states, we are partakers of the divine presence. We are partakers of the divine nature. We are one with God. He pulls us into himself. He comes in and possesses us with himself, with the Father. That the glory that the Son had with the Father from before the foundations of the earth would dwell in us. 
and go with us everywhere that we would go. We could chew on this for decades and should. And should. Because as we come to realize that the God of all creation, the God of miracles that Jesus demonstrated walking the earth is the same God that's possessing us, no differently than the way he possessed Jesus. The way we'd walk this earth would look a little bit different. The last thing he says is that the world will know. So I shared with them my glory. Me and them, and you the Father and me. I shared with you that glory so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you loved them the same way that you love me. Jesus' punchline to his last prayer and message with the disciples is that I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to possess you. I'm going to let you have my glory that I've shared with the Father from before the foundations of the earth, and I'm going to do it so that the world would know that the Father sent me and that the world would know that the Father loves you the same way the Father loves me. Guys, Jesus wants to glorify the church so that the world can see what a people loved by the Father lives like. Do you know that Scripture says that Jesus is going to do this to provoke the Jews to jealousy? Are we living in a way today that would make the Jews jealous to say, I want that Messiah? We're getting there. But I would argue that there's more for us that he wants to bring us into. The glory that he's held with his Father eternal. He wants to sweep us up into that so that our lives start to look like his life. So that the world would know that the Father sent the Son and that the Father loves us the way he loves the Son. And it would provoke Israel to jealousy, sweeping them in to the Messiah's kingdom. That's what this church is going to live like at the end of the age. I'm going to pray. That's all for today. And then um, if you want to get prayed for while worship is going, please just you know, find someone to pray for you. Um, but I'm going to pray and ask God that he would burn this in us, that this would be something that we continually walk out increasingly through the end of our lives. So, Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, the Eternal One, to become one of us, to show us what full human life is meant to live like. Jesus, thank you for what you did. Lord, we confess that this does not minimize who you are and what you've done. Rather, it magnifies, it glorifies, it exalts your accomplishment because it draws lowly sinners into sainthood, 
into sonship and into the glory of the Godhead. That you have made us who were once, who were formerly sinners, you have made us partakers of the divine nature. Father, cause us to walk in this truth. Reveal this to our minds and to our hearts that we might fully walk in communion with you in the fullness of your glory. We worship you, Father. We love you. Amen. Amen. All right, one more shot. If you've been, if you've been feeling and, and desiring something beyond status quo Christianity, um, I just want you to come forward and get prayed for. And Ryan, Corey, um, and some of these others will be ready to pray for you. Lately, we've been feeling like we have to act like God wants to act now rather than waiting and letting this play out over 20 years. There are those moments where God wants to intervene. So this doesn't have to be you, but if, if you've been just kind of going through the motions or you feel like you're just kind of a little bit tired of the same old rigmarole and you're like, God, I, I want to walk like you did. Jesus, I, I want to share in your glory. I want to demonstrate your glory that the world may know that the Father sent you and that I'm loved the way the Father loves you. If that's you, just come up and we'll have somebody pray for you. Um, I'm going to pray a blessing over you and then worship will continue. There's no meal today, um, but we'll see you later. Father, may your blessing rest on us. Father, may you reveal to us the fullness of the glory that we are intended to walk in in you. May our lives be marked with the miraculous everywhere we go. May the world know that you sent the Son for the salvation of all mankind and that you love us the way you love him. Glorify your church, Father, the way you intended us to be. We love you, Lord. Amen.